0: everybody and welcome to episode 14 of the Richies Radio Podcast. My name is Schmidt and I'm joined as always by my amazing co-host. You guys know him, you love him, Rodinky. Bro, what's going
1: on my friend? It's a great night. Um, I actually just got back from dinner with uh, a few of the people who I did that fundraiser back in October with. And we just had kind of a little celebration. Yeah, a little acknowledgement, a little celebration and a little talk about maybe doing it again next year. So. Um, no guess, way. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the handler who was kind of uh, involved with each, each one of us um, just sort of give us a little congratulations and then was just appreciative of each one of us bringing our own little piece of the pie to the table and then just uh, how we might be able to expand on that. So we talked about some stuff and maybe uh, I'll get started a little earlier next year and can do even better, which could be cool. How are things on your end? Dude, they're going, they're going all right. I mean, as
0: you know, years kicking off full force everything's heading full steam ahead into 2022 so everything's going well uh no complaints family's good recording another episode of the
1: podcast life is good so we're going to be talking watches sounds great and i think kind of piggybacking on last week is uh is an idea of when we were talking about how youtube is sort of a toxic place for watches and i'm not going to say youtube is completely just like the worst place ever but a big popular theme on YouTube, and I, and it's just because of the popularity of the brand, is just, when you go on there, everything is just Rolex, 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 and understandably, right? Yeah. It's a popular brand. It's worth a lot of money. It's one of the biggest, most well-marketed names on earth. So you're mm-hmm, going to have mm-hmm. that, right? You're going to have yeah. that devotion, whether it's Nike, whether it's whatever, right? Yeah. It's a household name. Yes. so. One thing that's always kind of, uh, in the words of Paulie Shore, tweaked my melon Hmm. (laughs) Um, is this idea of sort of brand fanaticism, right? This unnecessary devotion to a brand name that maybe really doesn't mean anything to you. Like there's not a two-way connection there. Like you're obsessed with them and they have no idea who you are. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. So. I think it's something we're all a little guilty of, and it's, it's something maybe to reflect on, in the idea that we all have a brand that we like, we all have a favorite, and you want them to do well, right? If you have a favorite brand, you want them to succeed because you like their products, you want other people to see their products in the way you do, right? right. Whether, whether it's a, a super popular one already, or one that's up and coming, or one that's completely off of the map. Right. I mean, Amazon started at some point, you know, it's just a picture of Bezos in a closet with a sign on the wall that says Amazon.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the good saying, old taste. Yeah. Not saying he's maybe a brand that people would rally behind like that, but just an example of how things blow up overnight sometimes is uh, is you can you can be a day one for a brand like that and then tell everybody, oh, I was I was in before you and I'm cool like that. You know, I I knew this before you did type of thing. Um, But yeah, you want them to do well. You want them to be well-regarded. And then at the end of the day, coming back your way, you want people to say and know that you have some kind of great taste, right? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, any good or popular brand is going to have a following. That's not necessarily unexpected, whether it's, you know, Coke or Pepsi. There's always, for some reason, there always seems to be at least two, right? Rolex Omega. (laughs) There's always like a... Yeah, Mercedes, BMW, Ford, Chevy. It's it's kind of this, that same type of thing. We talked about this before. Yeah, yeah. Rocky Apollo, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you ever watch? Uh, do you ever watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I catch a few episodes. I, I will be honest with you. I, I haven't watched much, but I so, have
0: seen a few episodes.
1: I was big into the show when it first came out, and um, they recently just came back with a new season. So I just popped it on yeah. when I was tired. Their I first, their first episode back. They take out uh, PPP loans, the ones okay. for, uh, you know, Corona relief. And yeah. um, so each couple members of the bar do it. And two of the guys get in an argument over, they're trying to get their country music gig off the ground with it. They, they get in an argument over who the bigger Philly athlete is. And it's Rocky Balboa or oh, the guy from the it. Eagles? No, I can't remember who it is. Oh, Donovan, Donovan McNabb. That's who it is. Eagles, Donovan okay. McNabb. It's an old Eagles quarterback. Or Rocky yeah. Balboa, and they wind up calling it to a vote, and it's during the election, and so people are putting their mail-in ballots in the in the oh, voting god. box, and they wind up su- submarining the election. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler, bro. Episode.
0: You're yeah, it's like bro, you're gonna get canceled real it's, fast. Man. <laughs> I.
1: No, but the whole episode is like how they tanked 2020, and it's it's really funny. It's worth worth the look. It's worth yeah. the sidebar of me going into this tangent, but. You know, every, there seems to be these dualities of always uh, popular, things. popular things or two things that are in the same microcosm competing against each other. And yeah, I think yeah. it's impossible to avoid that in some regards. And I, I find there's two, usually two scenarios. Either you're going to have something with high value that has a mm-hmm. strong following or you're going to have something that's super readily accessible that has also a, a strong following because you have that many people that can get behind it. Yeah. So you either have these people that are going to be jumping on this bandwagon of something super valuable, some of who own it, some of them whom just rally behind it because it's a name, right? Like how, how many, yeah. how many people you know have? Oh, I have the the Ferrari horse tattoo, and you don't, don't own a Ferrari. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's just one of those things, and so I guess either way, it's somewhat unhealthy. It's, it's kind of an unhealthy mentality to be so devoted to something that you probably don't know a lot about the inner workings of, and that doesn't necessarily reflect back on you at all, even though that seems to be sort of the, the idea behind this, this level of, uh, I don't know if it's snobbery or what, but you have this idea that this brand represents you because you either own it or own some of its apparel, or you know it might be f- from an area of the world that you live in. And I guess that's okay. But at what point do you have to look in the mirror and just say, maybe this is not the way to be? Like, this is beyond enthusiasm. And now it's getting to sort of that gatekeeping and defensiveness that we were talking about with Kelly in regards yeah. to the, when you're just trying to enjoy whatever it is, you know, coffee, watches, bourbon, and you just have these weirdos out there that are pushing people away, I guess you'd say
0: yeah I mean, I, I think I think in anything, you're gonna have you're gonna have your devotion, right and and in all of the hobbies that that we've talked about, especially last week with Kelly, you know these are these are hobbies where you're gonna have quote unquote experts, whether they are or not they believe to be, and you're gonna have your you know your fanatics, so people who are like overly invested, this is their life. this you know, this is so. Incredibly important to them that they feel in every aspect to defend it, or to to argue for it, or to promote it, or to talk about it, whatever that might be. And we certainly see that often, often in our hobby, which is watches, right? I mean, this is kind of where I see it the most. I'm not really into the bourbon collecting community. I'll drink bourbon all day long, but I'm not trying to go out and find rare bottles and only sip it once a millennia. It's like I I'm, I'm trying to finish the bottle. Um, but you know, when it comes to watches, there's certainly this aspect of, of fanaticism and association with brands. And we see this very strongly. I mean, you guys know where I lie, you know, the camps and the, and the brands that, that I love, and I'm not going to get into that because you already know if you listen to this podcast, but there's so many other people that are associating with this. And you, you said it earlier, you said Rolex. I mean, that that's for me, the number one brand that comes to my mind that sparks, fanaticism whether justified or not and people love to rag on rolex they love to defend rolex i mean it's it's kind of a weird phenomena but it's something that we cannot you know stare away from it's it's obviously happening so
1: what do you think what are your thoughts on that well i think they're kind of the perfect storm because i understand they're not so accessible anymore but for a long time. You could walk in off the street and grab one right you could grab 100 100 grab models well under retail on the secondary market yeah. right it was it was considered an every man's celebratory or monumental watch and they were out there enough that you could have enough owners to perpetuate sort of the rolex culture whereas yeah. like you have a, a patek i think not enough ownership exists for that kind of same level of enthusiasm and same level of that group arrogance where we are the Rolex owners. We're like almost the, yeah, like- Yeah, the, the, the crew. Yeah, the almost crew. like the Paneristi of Rolex. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like you, you don't you don't have that when you go higher up the chain just because simply from price and accessibility, not enough people, I think, meet that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think I disagree with that. and I, And I'll tell you why. Because I think- I understand your point here where you're talking about you know when you have something like Rolex right arguably it's more ubiquitous right I can get one a little bit easier in the sense that you know if I wanted to pay over retail I could buy a Rolex tomorrow and I could have it shipped to my house and I could own the watch right away now if we're trying to buy stuff at retail that's that's very 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 difficult if not almost impossible to do these days don't kid yourself ladies and gentlemen it is very difficult now I'll disagree on the point that the fanaticism doesn't change. I just think that the pool of people that are surrounding themselves with this gets smaller. Right. Because, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's some people out there who are the only watches that they will collect are paddocks. And sure. they're adamant about that. Now, can the vast majority of us run out and buy 10 paddocks? Absolutely not. Because they're extremely expensive watches. To own one would be a blessing in and of itself to own multiple and to be a collector is an entirely another level or another echelon that I probably will never achieve and not really something that I aspire to achieve, to be honest with you. Now, the same thing could be said for other brands, right? Vacheron, AP. Yeah, There's so many other brands out there that are solely driven by their demand. Go walk into an AP boutique right now and try to buy an overseas. Like it, it's, it's not a thing. I'm sorry, a uh, 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 royal oak, yeah. not an overseas. Yeah, uh, it's not a thing. It's very difficult to come by these pieces, and and very difficult to 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 obtain them, and 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 walk home with them. And I think a lot of that is is attributed to the collectability of these pieces, the hype, if you will, the idea of the flex piece. We talked about that before on an episode. All of this is is surrounding itself into this idea that, you know what. This is something that we have to collect and we have to collect it fervently. And I think before when you were touching on the Rolex point, you know, Rolex was able to build itself into the powerhouse that it was because it was an every man's celebratory piece. That was the idea is the fact that this was an expensive piece. I knew that it was, but it was readily available. And when I could celebrate something special in my lifetime, I could walk into my local jewelry store and buy that watch and leave with it the same day. That is not true anymore. It's very, very rare if that happens. And so the, I think it's interesting that Rolex as a brand is able to command this. The hype, the, 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 the feverishness with which people want to own these products is still there, but the availability of the product is not. And so it's very difficult for people to get these pieces. So I'm wondering what that's going to do. How do you think that that changes
1: this, the conversation? You know, it's tough because... I think it's going to limit people going forward. Like, I don't know if Average Joe has the patience to say, Oh, yeah, I'll settle for this for now at their AD. I'll settle for this Black Bay. I'll settle for this Tag Hoyer. And then I'll come back and maybe I'll get the call for my Rolex. I don't know if Average Joe has that mentality. I don't know if they're just going to say, yeah. To hell with it. I'll just keep this. And well, yeah, I'm just I mean, not going to buy I don't. This. Yeah.
0: I don't. I mean, I, and I, I have the money that I could go and buy a Rolex sports model if it was available today in the store. I could do that, right? But I don't have the patience to play games and jump through hoops and buy other models that are less desirable for me, so that I could establish purchase history. Like that's not something that I want to have to do in order to obtain something that I may like, right? It, it just, and I, I, and I think maybe I, I'm, you know, speaking out of turn here, but. You know, I think I like to. Re- I think I represent a pretty good percentage of the average person that exists in this community in this hobby. I I just I don't have time for it anymore, and I don't think a lot of other people that listen
1: to this really do as well. And being forced to purchase something almost sight unseen kind of sucks. Yeah, right. Like you, I mean- you have to play the game, and then you get the call, and it's shitting it off the pot. You come down there, you try it on, and you don't know if. Just your euphoria is gonna make it feel good or not, and then you're gonna take it home and be like, well, you know, I really don't really like the way this fits anymore. And yep. Yeah,
0: I've I've heard the term it's the collectors unfair. call it
1: Rolex remorse, right? Like it's it's the idea that you got to
0: try it on a few times. It's been two or three years since you actually get to see it. If if you're not already trying on the dummy models that don't function, right? It's You have very limited experience with these pieces because they are so rare. They don't sit in the showcase. They're all held in the back in the vault. So it's very hard to see these pieces in person, let alone try them on. Again, unless you have access to, to the, the exhibition models that they keep in the case lines now. And you get that call and you, you finally get to show up and try this piece on and you have to make the decision. So many people are just buying it because they have, they've been given the opportunity to make the purchase. And as you said, it's like, it's shit or get off the pot. Like, I don't even know if I really love this watch right. because I've, I've had how very limited. Ex- yeah, exactly. I've had very little limited interaction with it, but I know it's popular. I had the opportunity to buy it. So I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger. And if it's not, I can, I can it sell happens. it for more yeah. than I bought it for. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I don't know. I don't know how much longer this can go on. I really don't. Because we've seen the market shifting. We've seen other brands become more popular over the last few years. And it's because one, a large part of it, I think, is just because brands like Rolex, you can't get their models. And people are tired of waiting, tired of jumping through hoops to make that happen. You know, and it's 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 insane.
1: Again, yeah, actually I uh, wouldn't do it. I think it was a blog to watch put out an article today. I was like is it basically, is it really fair to have to wait around for like a hot watch? That's like a regular production model. You know, I, and again, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it is, especially when they're entry models, right? Like when Rolex first started disappearing from stores, I was at a jeweler in New York city. It was a family owned jeweler. So it was people who were out for themselves, you know, they're not working at a, a boutique or anything. And I was just having a conversation casual with the guy. And he was just talking about how the industry was changing and how not only were things hard to get, but just the the whole idea around Rolex was was kind of weird. Like people would come in and try to sell them to him. And he's like, listen, he's like, if you don't have box papers in English, I'm not taking this from you because I had to sell this back. Like somebody's going to want this now. And like people come in and try to sell their ladies models. And I had to tell them, well, they're not so in demand. And if they're precious metals, I can offer you the melt weight or like the diamonds, but like, I really can't offer you resale. And then he got on to, well, I'll put it to this way. When you go to Ferrari, you can't walk in a Ferrari and say, I want your top model Ferrari. They're going to laugh at you and say, you have to buy the bottom model Ferrari. Yeah. And then maybe we'll talk in a few years about the next one up. We're not going to move you up to the top. You know, you're not getting an Enzo or something. So. I, I guess that kind of put it in perspective for me. And he, he was br- it, it, very brutally honest about it. But It does. But here's the caveat to that.
0: Nobody's buying the top models. They're buying the standard models that are just so high in demand. You cannot tell me that an Enzo is not one of the most expensive Ferraris that they make because it is the top model or one of them. Right. Yeah. So for me, that makes sense because it's, The price is there. It's extremely rare. You have to have owned so many different Ferraris to really qualify to be considered to have an Enzo, right? It's that whole idea that I understand because to own a Ferrari is already a a special gift because it's an extremely well-built, expensive sports car, right? You're telling me I have to buy three Black Bays to maybe get a Submariner or I got to buy a milgas or something that I don't want to get a standard model. In stainless steel, we're not talking platinum, we're not talking white gold, we're not talking solid anything. It's a standard model, and something like a Daytona, it's a standard model, albeit a little bit more hard to get. Yeah, they're still standard models, so the it makes sense in his justification of what he would tell people. Which again, I understand it from his perspective, but I don't understand it because we're not buying things based on on price. We're buying things based on desirability, and that's a different flip of the coin. The Enzo is more expensive. Yeah. Right? That makes sense. And made in much, much fewer
1: number, I would assume.
0: Absolutely. They're extremely rare. Right? I think you have to own like 10 Ferraris of, yeah. of like spanning the year spectrum. So it's not like just like you can go out and buy 10 Ferraris and get an Enzo. You have to own like you know one from 95 and then one from 2000. There's like select models that you yeah. have to have owned to qualify. I honestly have no idea about
1: it, but it's, it's, he just made it out to be like a whole process. And I was like, yeah, sounds like something I don't want to get into.
0: (laughs) It is. But these are, these aren't just your, your average Ferraris. Like these are specific models because they want the Enzos to be a celebration of the client relationship with Ferrari. Yeah. Right. Which that aspect I can kind of see. But the other thing is, too, is you're not buying a special watch. You're buying a Submariner. You're buying a Daytona. They are not special pieces. We've equated them yeah. to be, right? But it's a standard chronograph. It doesn't even have a date.
1: That's the and the, uh, the Stockholm syndrome. Lugs, the Stockholm syndrome know, of it is that you've been beaten into submission, thinking that a Daytona is a. Uh, it's it's an old movement. It's a modified a version of the of the El
0: Primero. It doesn't have a date. It's a 40 millimeter size, which is ancient today by modern chronograph standards. And it has asymmetrical lugs. Okay. I will continue to point this out on the podcast until I die. Because (laughs) everyone needs to see this. If you haven't seen this, and maybe we'll we'll put a picture of this on the post for this episode. If you haven't seen this, go check out a ceramic Daytona and just look at the lugs. Because the right side is smaller and thinner than the left side. It does not make any sense. And the only thing I can say is justification for this. is like, well, we have some more visual weight with the pushers on the right side. So they made the lugs thinner. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to spend $40,000 for a steel watch to have the lugs be different sizes on half of the case. Doesn't even make sense. It's completely ridiculous. So there you go.
1: I hope I ruined the Daytona for you. just kidding okay speaking of daytona and i again i think rolex is kind of the easy uh punching bag here just simply because of the prestige attached to the name and also like i said it was it was a very widespread watch brand yeah it used to be common (laughs) right it used to be common i mean around my way i mean clients i work with They've all got a sub or – I mean, they're, they're, they're steel. They're not ceramic Daytonas. They're usually steel Daytonas, but subs, Daytonas, yeah. Datejusts, everybody. A lot of them aren't recent models. You know, a lot of the, the subs aren't ceramic and things like that. But yeah, yeah. they all – because that's what they did. They bought their one Rolex, and this is the one I'm going to own, and that's it. You know, when they, yeah. when they got their bonus or whatever it was, their big job. So I think that was why I think that's why Rolex is an easy punching for a bag for this. But I think you can also say it on the opposite side. Like I'm going to throw two stories out there, okay? And I'm going okay. to show. I guess I'll show you both sides of it. Right. And the first story is actually one that sort of led me to end up making Brodinski, right? To sort oh. of to sort of combat the douchebaggery that exists out there and the, the overly serious nature of things and just the, exactly what we're talking about, that entitlement and the, the feeling of superiority because of something you bought. Okay. Right, something that just, right. It used to make me, you know, raise an eyebrow and sort of just shake my head. Okay, so I think like a lot of people, and I know like you, I used to be on the forums a lot. And it, it was mostly for educational purposes it was, it was to sure. to learn more and get more immersed in different brands and even just the culture the, the watch collecting culture and and the different little niches here and there and so i stumble upon the opinions on omega thread it's still there i'm pretty sure it's in the rolex form okay. so you know you know okay. you know that it's going to be spicy right so yeah for sure so i go in there And I just want to see what people have to say. And I I know what it's going to be. It's going to be a bunch of of Rolex D-bags, you know, laying into Omega. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, some of it's kind of funny. And they're just, like, begging on the usual Omega tropes about the moon landing and blah, blah, blah. All right. I get it. I get it. Here's your cookie. But this one part of the thread just starts getting, like, ridiculously toxic. So there's this dude, and I'm not going to give him any shot. I still remember his name because I just, like. I wanted to ring the dude's neck and he's a New Yorker, so I could have found him or <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> but uh, so he's making he's make, he's just like this, this dude is telling these weird stories about how when he goes to like fast food restaurants, the workers notice his watch. And they they envy and they covet it. And I'm like, dude, you got some ego, man, because like, I, I don't know how to tell you this, like nobody looks at your watch like barely yeah, any, unless that's... you're unless you're in it, you sell it or. You are into like fashion or high-priced things. People can't tell your Rolex from an MVMT. You
0: know? Yeah,
1: the average person certainly cannot. Yeah. So, and they're he's, and this dude's bagging on the French fry guy and the burger flipper, and I'm like, what? I guess that's cool. You know, you want to you want to make fun of people who don't make a good wage or are inferior to you in your mind. Whatever, I guess. And so you know this guy's going into how people envy his watches and and you could just tell i wouldn't even have to tell you what he owned but cookie cutter 2018 rolex playbook epc yeah. gmt on jubilee daytona blue yeah. date just black soap right like that's that's it that's exactly what it was it's like the most cookie cutter rolex collection you could ever find but so i start talking to this guy like and i know he's a troll and i know he's just trying to get under people's skin and i'm like dude at some point you have to act like you've been there like that's just that's a popular saying i don't know if a lot of people are familiar with it but like people usually use it yeah a lot of times in sports right when like a guy scores a touchdown hits a home run and they they like flip the bat and people are like dude act like you've been there that's usually what the the better pros will say to them is dude act like you've been there it's not your first home run like no need to like showboat it out like that like yeah it's not your first watch relax you know like when you get that first watch i understand because I, I think we all been yeah, there. It's a you euphoric get that, feeling that first luxury watch you're wearing it you got no matter it could be t- zero degrees you got your sleeve rolled up you are flexing <laughs> that thing out there right
0: yes and then by yes. like
1: your maybe third or fourth watch maybe you start realizing there's not there are times where you don't want to be flexing that out there yeah, absolutely. Maybe it's maybe it's better off under the cuff. And maybe calling attention to it is both more humble and maybe a little more safe than you you might have calculated yeah. when you were out there holding the thing out the window as you're driving <laughs> in 0 degree yeah. weather. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Try, Trying to charge that loom. Yeah. So I don't know. It it, it and, I, and that's that story is just like a microcosm of both what that thread was about and that forum and I guess the whole mantra of what we're we're talking about it, it it's something I, I don't I don't understand necessarily. Like I understand that you want you made the money, and now you've also taken the steps to acquire this thing. So now you're gonna flex it even harder. Yeah, but what's the point of trying to put other people down so you feel better? I don't know. I
0: I've dealt with this before. I've had clients that that that. You know, again, at the, at the AD I used to work for, I've had clients that were like this. You would sell them something like that, and you could just tell it was a way for them to show off. Yeah, I need the gold Daytona because, you know, it's that's the one my colleagues will notice as, as, you know, my new bonus watch for the year. It's like, dude, I, you know, I don't care. I don't care. It, it's you're, you're a repulsive human being, and I just don't <laughs> like you. So I automatically <laughs> don't like you and the watch. Right. It's just I mean, that's just the reality. It's like I don't want to treat people like that. And, and, and it, if somebody notices my watch, cool. I know that's probably a watch person. Now. We share a kinship. We share a, a relatability aspect here that we can talk about in the future. You know, it's just one of those things. It's just like I, I don't like to deal with people like that anymore. And that was probably partly one of the reasons why I left, you know, the retail world. Just again, it's in some ways a microcosm of the forums just in real life. Nobody's hiding behind keyboards. They're saying it to your face, and it's a little bit different thing to deal with, and you know, just not something that that in some cases can be healthy. So, um, shout out to all my service people who are listening to this
1: podcast. I can't imagine. It's yeah, yeah. I know. I can't imagine the stuff you have to deal with in that uh, role.
0: It it, it, it's not all too dissimilar, I'm sure, from the food service world when it comes to dealing with people like that. Oh, of course not. But it's just sometimes the expectations, because you are dealing with high price items, the expectations are tenfold, right? It's, it's, a, it's a whole nother thing. We don't need to get into it here. But, you know, people like that are what make this hobby so bad, you know, and, and this whole idea of gatekeeping, the whole idea is like, you know, I own this. And, and if you get this and, you know, somehow you're inferior to me, that's, that's BS. That is 100% BS. And I have no respect for you as a collector if you are like that. It's just not not the way that I think collecting should be, not the way that I think the hobby should be. We should be trying to celebrate and lift each other up and celebrate our collections and really encourage other people to, to fall in love with brands that we're passionate about. But do it for the right reasons. Not, don't, don't do it to be a showboat. Don't do it to make other people feel inferior or somehow that your collection is superior to them. This is about, you know, sharing a love of virology with other people and having them find that love that you found. That for me was always, you know, a big part of what I do. And a reason why this, this podcast exists is for us to share our, our watch collecting journey with you guys that, that tune in and listen to this. So,
1: I and I, can't, I can't imagine being a salesperson and you know that this person, A, spends a lot of money, so you have to cater to them. Yes. And B, you're about to hand them over something like really cool and hard to get. And you like don't want to let it out of your grasp because you don't want them to have it. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, 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 it's so funny. That that's true. Because you're just like, this guy doesn't deserve this. It is. But it, what do you, you know? It's like, it's business? like, but uh, he's got the purchase history. He's got the he's got the the money in hand. So it comes to that aspect where you're like, you know what? You're kind of a jerk. I really don't want you to have this. But I guess you qualify because, you know, again, purchase history and 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 money. So that in many ways trumps everything, which is also part of the problem with the watch industry when it comes to the retail world. Right, money does trump things. So uh, that's a whole
1: nother topic for another time. But yeah, and you know, yeah, it's, it's it's not a burger. You can't spit in it and hand it to him. Not, not no, that I've can't. ever done that. I've seen some wild stuff in my day, but I can proudly say I've never no matter how big of a jerk. Anybody has been to me. I've never ever messed with anybody's food, so I can I can hang when I hang up my coat one day I can say I never did that. But I've seen some pretty intense things
0: that are kind of weird. Shout out to all of our food service workers. You guys don't get enough credit. It's hard to it's hard to do that that job. So
1: now I'll give you the opposite of that guy, and I can't entirely remember the context of how I got into it with said person, but there was a person kind of, uh, it was way, or, way early in my account. I, I don't even know if I, was, if I was posting memes at this point. But I'm getting flack from this guy and, he, and I'm trying to figure out what his, what his deal is. And he's pretty snarky and I can't remember what watches we were talking about but it was definitely something like mi- middle tier not crazy expensive, yeah. not crazy cheap or anything like that. And I'm trying to figure out what this dude's deal is. So I click his profile and I see a bunch of wrist shots and it's mostly like Casio F91. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And then I click see SKX. God tier. And I, I, read the, I read the caption. It says, Seiko SKX, all the watch you could ever need. Right. And so every one of these is like a little tirade about how you don't need anything beyond these basic watches. Everything else is excess. We're not going to use it anyway. But, but. Mm. I'm like, okay. So you're like the anti snob guy who's going to try extra hard to be low end as like sort of like the humble, humble brag. Like I'm going to, I collect. You're
0: still a snob, but you're going to be a snob at everyone else who spends more money for the, for the extra pieces, because in somehow it's perceived as excess or, or
1: luxury, right? Like you're the minimalist Zen person and I'm going to come at everybody above, you know, who collects above me. And I don't know if it's because maybe you got burned by the guy I just talked about yeah but either way annoying like cut that out i don't yeah. need to hear that either i respect yes. them i respect minimalism i see what you're doing i can appreciate collecting from sort of that basement level like i could probably we talked about in, in maybe the second or third episode that i could be happy collecting in the the low tier you know I, yeah just, I, I could I see CEOs, seiko's uh, Hamilton's Timex's, I could be perfectly happy there if I had to, no problem. Do I want to? Maybe not, but I could do it. But am yeah. I gonna? Am I gonna come at everybody who decides that they want a Nomos or a tutor because it's above the level that I want? I collect that, and I, I don't think anybody needs more than that. No, right? No. I mean that's consumerism. Consumerism is about excess, right? That's what, that's what it's about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just weird that, that that these people exist, right? And again, it's this idea that somehow, it's almost like a holier-than-thou type mentality, yes. right? Especially with the guy you know on the lower end spectrum. But the same thing too with the guy in the, on the upper echelon spectrum. It's an idea of somehow whatever I'm buying, whatever I'm doing is better than what you were doing or that you're buying, right? And it, it's just toxic and I don't like it. For me, my method and what I've always told myself is if I was going to have a well-balanced collection, I would have a Casio next to a paddock. That would be my range. Whatever I want to collect in that range is fine. It's just whatever I want to own. And let's be honest, like I have some watches in my watch box that people would probably scoff at because like, why do you own this? You know what it's not for you to own it's not for you to care about it's for me to love and me to appreciate and that i hope extends to the rest of our our, our listeners in our community and i think for a large part it, it does yeah but this idea that we have to be so angry and so you know toxic and just pushes out there on people who frankly they don't care to listen there's a reason why you're you're rambling on, on the forums because nobody else wants to listen to you <laughs> in real life I mean, this is like, it's not natural conversation. Yeah, I just bought this gold Daytona. and Let me tell all my friends about it because, you know, I'm just going to keep bringing it up. Like, no, dude, nobody wants to listen to that. The same way that nobody wants to read your crappy comment on the forum. But here we are talking about it five years later and still resonates. But it's, guys, just don't be, a, don't be a jerk. Watch collecting is fun. <laughs> don't make it more serious than it has to be.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think it, it spans I think any consumer goods where you have, it does different levels of quality, and you are gonna have tastes come into play, right? Like yeah, that yeah. was that was one thing I, I talked about. Um, friend of the, with our uh, friend of the show Nate, he's a, he's in cigars. Okay, and on our live streams, he hops people hop on, they see him smoking, and they're like, hey, what's a good cigar? And his answer is perfect. He says, well, I'm not going to tell you what a good cigar is. A good cigar is whatever one you are enjoying the most when you're smoking it. He's like, I'm not going to say you have to buy Padron or Monte Cristo or whatever. I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you you need to smoke the big brands. And again, cigars have forms. I've been there because when yeah. I wanted to learn about them, that's where I went. And it's the same nonsense. It's the same. You have to smoke Cubans only. You have to smoke the top of the chain. like. And meanwhile, it, it's just not the right answer. And I, and I like, I like what exactly what Nate said. And it, and it, and it resonates with me in my own career. Because that's what people, when they ask me, oh, what's a good blank? What's a good steak? What's whatever? I'm like, it's whatever one you prepare the way you like it and you enjoy it the most. Like, well, who who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know, pe- and people, for example, people always, sorry for the food tangent here, but people always throw filet mignon out as like the gold standard and i think any steak enthusiast will tell you that filet mignon is not that great because it doesn't have any fat Mm-mm. the texture is nice because it's
0: there's well, know, no, there's no I, sinew it, yeah and it but, also depends on how you prepare it Yeah, because you, you can have a really dry crappy filet mignon or you could have a really buttery soft one that you can cut with a butter knife like i mean it just depends on how you prepare it
1: Right, and there's different grades, and but that's why a lot of times it comes with either a, a butter or a sauce, a crust, because it it needs a little something, and, it's, and that's just yeah. that's just the dichotomy of it is that is that you have I think if you if you get real enthusiasts, they'll usually tell you ribeye or something like that, but yeah, um, but they you know they ask oh what what what's a good steak or what's a what's a good meal to get when you're out? And I'm like, what meal do you like? And, like, what what does it matter? Like, I eat, when I go out to eat, I don't get the h- most high price thing on the menu. I find what I – what I I actually usually find what I think the place I'm at can make the best is usually what I get. So, like, I don't go to, like, you know, an, an Irish pub and get lasagna. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to go – I'm probably going to get fish and chips or something or shepherd's yeah. pie. Give me some you know fish and I mean? chips and an ale, buddy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, 100%. I think they're, they're going to hit that out of the park. And I I, th- I think that, that kind of translates across – Chances across in that regard, but without getting too far off the topic, uh, I think that's something that people look for, especially when they don't have experience in, whether it's a hobby or just an area of knowledge, they just go diving right in with what is good, what is the best, what do yeah. I need to do to validate myself to other people? Yeah. And I think by looking for that, you always get almost the wrong answer. <laughs> Well, I mean, we've talked about this
0: too. A lot of, you know, this whole idea that, that there's no watch collecting individualism anymore. Because I think, as you said it perfectly, it's almost like we're we're trying to cast a wide net and pull in the most common denominator, right? Yeah. So for many years, you know, the entry level watch was the SKX. Like that was the ubiquitous go anywhere, do anything type watch. It was affordable. It was a great segue into, into mechanical watches. And it was made by a respectable brand. How many SKXs have been sold over the years? Gosh. I mean, I I couldn't even fathom how much money Seiko I think, has made off of
1: SKX. I think even after they stopped production, it was still... The stock had not run out for years yeah. after. Yeah, I think it, it was just like, ran out. <laughs> yeah, it was like
0: in several years before you... You're now finding SKX is like $500 or $480 or whatever it is because they they are not available now. But, you know, that was the ubiquitous model. And so for so many people that were getting into the hobby, it's like, oh, this is the watch to get, right? Don't get the Orient, get the SKX, right? Don't get this watch, get this one because that's the one to get. That's the best value for money. It's a diver's watch. It does all these things. What if I didn't like that much? What if I but wanted I hacking it hand one? Yeah, but you know, just my point being is like, what if I didn't like that model, but I bought it because that's what everyone told me was acceptable to get.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't. And so your, yeah, it I'll, wasn't your taste.
0: I'll, I'll fit into I'll fit into the meetup when I finally have a meetup with friends that are into into watches, but I didn't get a purchase piece that actually made connection with me. I bought something because somebody else said it was good. And I think that large part of of this problem is so many of us, when we get into these hobbies, we we try to find the safe spaces. We could we we latch onto the things that we feel comfortable with, or that other people feel comfortable with, and we end up limiting ourselves to discover things that are truly special and resonant with us because we fall we we default to these
1: these normal things, you know. I would definitely admit that I fell into that pretty, pretty good when I, we when all I did. First started out. We all did. Right. And, you, and then you f- then you get into the oh, well, you have to have a rubber strap for that. Oh, you need a NATO. Oh, you need. Yep. <laughs> and it just goes down the from straps, watches, accessories. It's, it's everything, you know.
0: It's everything. And now that's been one of the biggest challenges for me in, in my own collection journey. And I think, you know, you and you and I have talked about this now is I'm purposely trying to buy stuff that nobody else wants and nobody else like has because I'm tired of my collection, not that it really does now, but I've really wanted it to stay away from being the same that every everybody else has. You know, I don't want I don't want to have the same collection. Everyone else does. I want to have pieces so when somebody opens my watch box, if they ever have the opportunity to look at it, they're like, dang, I've never seen this watch in person. Like, that's what I want. So then I can talk about it, tell a cool story, you know?
1: Even then, because they, can, they can look at your collection and kind of derive a bit of your personality from that. Absolutely. Whereas if they open your box and it's the person I talked about before, cookie cutter, <laughs> I bought the Rolex collection when it was still available. Yeah. What does it say about you? You had, you had the money to get it. And that you probably drive like a BMW three series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I, like I it's, just, it's, it's. there's, there's no yeah. information there. There's no information there other than you have expensive Well, taste. there's no originality. There's right. no originality. That's what it you is. It could have been anybody. You had
0: the money. You had the means. You had the opportunity. So you did it. And again, no shame in the game. I understand it. I get it. But looking all these years on, I look at your collection. I'm like, yeah, it's, I get it. But it's not inspiring to me. And again, nothing against anybody who has that collection. No, it's nice. It's just just for me, it's not going to be like, oh my God, this is the most amazing collection I've ever seen. There's just a bunch of Rolex sports models. I get it. They're popular. They're collectible. They're great watches. No disputing that. But for me, if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody that I know is a good collector, I want to see some variants. I want to see a Moser next to... Uh, a dark side of the moon next to, you know, a manual wine Tiso. Like, give me some variety. Not That's to, not, what I want. Not to
1: cut you off. Did you did you happen to see that new uh, Moser came out today? I haven't. Which one was it? Uh, I forget the name, but it's it's pretty cool looking. It's like a dark dial, and it, it just has very small dots for indices. And then it's got these cool, almost similar to like a the idea of like a – you know how like the Breguet hand is like hollow in the – in the pointer is
0: it does it kind of look like a constellation on the dial like not so many dots where it could be stars
1: but it kind of has that feeling sort of but it, it, it's it's pretty nice it's it's actually one of the I've, I've never really resonated with the the moser design language but i, I kind of like this one
0: i think i did come across but i didn't know it was a moser i thought it was something else yeah I th- i'm pretty sure
1: it's a moser i'm almost positive but yeah but i complete side tangent but i i did happen to come across when i was like oh that's it's kind of neat I, Cause I usually, you know, I, mean, I usually don't, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. I usually find them to look a lot, to look very, uh, Orient Bambino-y. Interesting. You know yeah, that, I mean, you I know that gen, that. That. that gen, either three or four Bambino with like the kind of fume ish styles. Yeah, yeah. That's what they look like. Yeah. Cause, cause they started copying that after
0: Moser <laughs> yeah, started yeah. making fume
1: dials like popular. <laughs> but like, yeah. that's it, what I see though. Like, Everyone's oh, doing Orient fume Bambinos. dials.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. It's, 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 it's like, it's funny. Cause it's like one inspired the other.
1: And like, one it's is way a, higher like, quality, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I and I've held a Moser. I, I, I have a, a friend of mine that has the I think it's the uh, the front. It's, it's the Frontier Diver. I think is what it was. It, it, whatever model he has was the first time Moser ever made a dive launch. Okay. And he was like one of the first two or three owners of this model in the entire United States which was really cool. Like I saw this watch in person like several years ago when it, when it first came out, but I was just like blown away by the dial texture, the movement finishing. It was an amazing watch. And again, for, I think he said it was like, you know, somewhere around the 15 K mark. So expensive, but not unobtainably expensive. Yeah. And for something like that, when you think about, you know, now a gray, a gray market, some Mariners pushing that price.
1: Made. And it's not hand finished. Finish.
0: Yeah, you'll never see the movement. It doesn't have uh, a full made dot. Like
1: you like. This. There's so many things that you're just like you'll and, like this. So, the, so I it, uh, not to cut you off for a sec, but you'll no, like no, this. You're I was uh, scrolling the uh, popular page the other day, and that's why I see this like post, and it's it's by one of those like enthusiasm for building wealth type pages, and it was okay. about like branding and stuff, and it's like we know why you pay so much for a Rolex. And like, it's got a list of things and none of them actually apply. It's like totally handmade. And like, I just like left like a dot, dot, dot in the comments. And I was like, bro, you missed the boat on this. Yeah.
0: You obviously did not consult a single watch person as you made this post. Yeah.
1: But I, I I know you would have found that funny. I was going to screenshot it and send it to you, but
0: PSA guys, all major watch brands are not handmade. They are hand assembled. There's a very distinct difference. And even then, to meet the demand of hundreds and thousands of units every single year, a lot of these processes are now expedited using robot technology. Shocker, I know.
1: (laughs) Okay. Hand assembled very key and distinctive yeah, sort of like uh swiss made swiss movement <laughs> yeah. the whole
0: the whole legal thing oh man and and, that, and that's funny because you know who brought that to the forefront who's that it was Moser it was it? <laughs> yes <laughs> Moser was the one brand that was like guys this whole swiss made thing is kind of bs yeah it is because you can like have like 60% of the watch made actually in switzerland and somehow it counts but you know, the other 40% or whatever the the legal definition of, of what it is can be made elsewhere, which is something that's very crazy because you know, for us in the United States, it's a very, it's a very high percentage yeah. of products that need to be assembled or made in the US to carry that to carry that logo. Almost entirely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like 98% or 99%, something like that. It's something very high uh, in order to have the made in, in the United States logo, which is crazy. But it's definitely not the way for for for, uh, for Switzerland with the Swiss made uh, denomination. And Moser was really upset about this. And that's why they made uh, the uh, made in Switzerland watch. It's the one where the case is actually made out of like Swiss cheese. You know, I was
1: going to ask, didn't they make the cheese watch? Yes. Because we should yes. hit them up about that. Rich they, cheese watch. You know? Just an idea.
0: I, <laughs> Moser, if you're ever listening, I don't have $15,000 for your watch, but I would have happily take one
1: if you'd like to make a charitable Um, donation to the show you know
0: (laughs) but yeah they made they made they made the swiss uh the i think i think the slogan was like make swiss watch making swiss again or something like that or make okay it was kind of a playoff like the maga thing not that we're going to get into that but it was kind of like an association with that um you know make swiss swiss watch making swiss again something like that so okay like it was crazy but the watch was everything swiss so it had the dial which was red with like a a giant cross in the center for you know the swiss switzerland flag so the country colors the case was made out of swiss cheese and this like resin that they cast
1: and they like but it was real cheese it was real cheese which is nuts
0: (laughs) yeah formaggio guys like this is real cheese And then the strap was made out of cowhide from Swiss cow. Like They went through the absolute extreme to make, I I don't know if it is the world's first or the world's only like completely Swiss made watch where everything is not just like made in Switzerland. It's like made of stuff in Switzerland as well. It was kind of this like meta way to do it. And it was an ultimate flex to say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that's not actually made in Switzerland. Yet it's carrying that denomination. So shout out to Moser for really just really just bringing it.
1: I, yeah, I've never see, uh, like I said, I've never been really drawn into their watches, but I, oh, I enjoy the, I enjoy their snarkiness.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, <laughs> the Swiss Alp watch, you know, it looks just like the Apple watch. And, and they had the like, uh,
1: were they the one that had the Swiss Swiss legend?:
0: Yes. It was the one like, I, it, was like was the, a, it was
1: like the amalgam of all Swiss watches, yes. like the, the yeah they got signature. they got hella suit yeah they got hella suit for that
0: or, or I don't know if they actually got physically sued but there was like a cease and desist. yeah there was
1: a stand down I think yeah sure like guys. the Panerai dial with
0: like the 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 AP bezel and, it, and the bezel was like a two tone bezel like a Pepsi yeah and it had it was just like they this had like the gigantic, Luminor crown guard yeah <laughs> yeah it was a giant amalgamation of like iconic watch features. And it, these are all the watches that we're going to have to post in the, in the, in the post comments. There or, we are, yeah. the, So in,
1: somebody, in the yeah. Somebody asked us to post some uh, references to stuff that we talk about. So this will be a good one. Yeah, this will
0: be a good one. We've covered a lot of distinctive things. So we'll have to make sure that we, we add that up there, but uh, especially if you guys haven't seen this stuff, but Moser, I have a lot of respect for them as a company just because they, they do, you know, travel to the beat of their own drum which I think is amazing and they are not afraid to not, I wouldn't say upset people, but to make people reevaluate their thinking. I think that's kind of the way to think about it. It's like make you think about something you didn't think about before. Cause I, I'll remember when, when the, when the, the, the Swiss watch came out, I was like, why? And then I started to dig further and learn about all this kind of controversy surrounding the Swiss made logo and slogan. I was like, ah, it's almost like it activism. makes sense. Yeah, it, it, 100%. It was a way to bring shock and awe to somebody like me who didn't quite understand that. And I think that that's really, really cool. So if you want to be a fanatic about watches, go be a fanatic about Moser. They're really cool. They're really cool people. And the CEO is like an amazingly nice guy. Like he will respond to the DMs.
1: Like he's he's a good dude. Hmm. He's a good watch fan. It's always nice to hear. I, and I think it, it all kind of... Uh comes full circle, whether you're talking about Moser or like we were saying, talking about the SKX and whether you're on the high end or the low end, you're, you're going to get the people who sort of are on the soapbox. And yeah. for better or for worse, I don't think they take into account that it affects other people. Yeah. Like I think they just, they want to say their piece and be recognized for that. And I think that's more of what it is, is they want to be recognized and validated. Oh, you're, you're a collector. I get it. But they don't realize that by trying to influence other people that they, A, might be pushing them into watches or things that they don't want. Yeah. B, maybe pushing people out of the hobby in general, right? I mean, the gatekeeping. Right. Those people, they didn't want, they didn't make my passion stronger for the hobby. They made me want to do something about it, but... <laughs> you know yeah, I mean they,
0: they, they, you know uh, I can say the only silver lining to this like you said is it it inspires you to be better than that or yeah, to create a I way you know or create a way to to not be that. And that's how it was for me. I mean, I met a lot of people and especially you know I touched on this you know when we first started this thing many, many, many episodes ago, that when I first got into this, I was hungry for information, was hungry for community. And people found out that I really didn't have anything that, you know, I wasn't, you know, it was very like toxic. And they're like, you don't, you can't collect, you can't afford, you know, why are you in this community? If you don't have anything, you're not contributing. It was like, I was here to learn. And very quickly I learned that I didn't want to be like those people that I wanted to to share my hobby with other people. And eventually I would get these pieces that I've been lusting after and that I wanted to make it a mission of mine to, to be able to, to share that with the world and, and to help other people learn that it's okay. Collect what you want to collect. Love what you want to love and, and, and keep what you want in your box. That's the, the most fundamental thing.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's all you can do. I think that's all you can do is just try to be above that. And hopefully you never, if you're a budding collector, you never have to experience that first It's the worst. Even though, I mean, if you go digging hard enough, you're going to find it even on instagram it's not just not just youtube not just forums i use youtube as an example because one one time our previous guest kelly uh asked me to hop on a uh not even come on but just to check out a live stream she was having and some dude gets on there and just goes on like a tirade about how you need to have a rolex steel model in your collection and somebody else who also has a podcast who's another female actually shut him down pretty good i'm not going to throw her out there but it was pretty entertaining yeah it was like that it was, it was like that justice that. justice porn or whatever they call that yeah <laughs> where like people get what's covered to them it was like oh yeah <laughs> it was yeah it though. was it was it was pretty brutal it, it that was crazy but yeah but so hopefully people out there won't be encountering that if you're if you're on the starting out end and if you're not hopefully you've you've purged that from your life because i know i didn't go back to those forums after that I, I think that was the last, my last experience with them. And I'm probably better for it. We all are. We all are. Right. And so that's why, you know, when people first interact with my account, I think, I think it kind of throws them at first. And they think I might be beyond the other end of things. And they're like, oh, what? like you, you rag on this? I'm like, no, no. I'm like, I'm just playing around. Like, you know, your Quartz Watch, your Panerai, your whatever. It's fine. Your Hublot. Who cares? You like it? Good. I like it too. Enjoy you know yeah. it's it's not it's not like that it's you know it's for a quick laugh and then on with your day there's there's nothing to stew about take everything at face value you know whenever i see people getting butthurt in comments usually is another person who's like bro not that serious you'll learn <laughs> you'll learn yeah.
0: that take take everything with a grain of salt guys. Yeah, we're, we're just here for the memes we're here for the for the trolling it's it's fine
1: it's fine. but we're also
0: here to to give you guys a voice and and to and to let you know that there are other like-minded collectors they love watches just because of loving watches. That's it. And that's what it, fundamentally we just need to remember. And uh, we just need to, to, to help other people find.
1: That's it. That's all I got. And I think that's a great way to end the show. So on that note, I think episode 14 is in the books. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Schmidt, as always, it has been a pleasure. Folks, we'll see you next time on rishi's Cheese Radio. Take care, guys.